JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Now, members of the younger generation are going, what in the hell are you talking about here? Like our next guest via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from Locked On Pacers, SI, and stuff I get. It is uh, Tony East. If I bring up if I bring up the, uh, the uh, roast beef establishment called Racks, would you know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, no, I don't think this is the flying start I, I uh, wanted coming in, but no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you roll the dice and take your chances on this show, brother. Let me tell you, <laughs> you do. No, Rax Rax is uh, was a competitor to Arby's in the day, and I think that would probably be the biggest deal. I'm trying to advocate, be an advocate of bringing it back. Somebody opening up a new racks here locally because there are zero, but I think that may be the stumbling block is, you know, those of your generation have no stinking idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I haven't had Arby's in forever either. Roast beef is just not something I, I seek out that much. <laughs> Man, I know. This, is a, this is a me problem at this point. Well, I mean, that's why, I mean, racks has got a menu that's like 19 pages long. <laughs> oh, how can you even have that? I don't know. I mean, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So anyway, uh, Tony East is with us. I, I said this as far as the deals we have seen to this point regarding the Pacers, and and I've told you this. I, I wanted to see them try to win now, while also not compromising the future and the plan. I was okay with them trying to expedite winning. But, you know, not, again, compromising further down the road. And it appears to me that's exactly what they're trying to do with these moves this offseason. Would you agree? A hundred percent, JMB, I do. I mean, obviously, Tyrese Halliburton's his own thing. That's the best move they could have made all summer. If they did nothing else and did that, that would have been great. But getting two players that fit a need, fit their team stylistically in in Bruce Brown and OB Toppin, I guess Toppin's not official, but we all know. Um, you know, who fit really well with the way they play and are talented and to get them at the price they did, but also to get them on shorter deals, right? Toppin only has one year left in his contract. They'll see, they could keep him if they want, but only one year left. Bruce Brown has the one year and then the team option for the second year. Like, they definitely got better this year. They'll learn a lot about their team and their attempts to win, and they also maintained the, as they like to say, optionality to – maybe go for bigger fish next year, or even if they want to just keep the team that they had this year, if it goes really well. And so that's a good way to kind of get better, push the accelerator a little bit, build around Tyrese Halberton, but also keep your options open. If you're ready to take an even bigger step next year, if things go well, because 
they certainly got better, and they certainly did uh, did a good job keeping the flexibility open while doing it. Yeah, it's, uh, Tony East who joins us talking Pacers. Were you like me a little bit on Friday when this news broke? Were, were you did you have to stop and think exactly the the benefit for Bruce Brown initially because initially it almost was like all right they have to spend some money so they're spending it right now but I will say this the more and more you thought about it especially since I sit around all the time and complain about their lack of defense the more and more you thought about it from that standpoint the more and more it made sense yeah you know I thought that, I mean you know I think with the the way the salary caps kind of jumped in the league the last couple of years was going to be sticker shock at the value of a lot of contracts for the next couple of years, especially when the new TV deal hits in two seasons. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a great idea for the Pacers to, and, I, and this is kind of what I floated to some people too. Like he's the second best player who changed teams as a free agent, right? Like that's getting a good player in free agency is hard. Now the NBA free agency is not what it used to be, right? A lot of players extend their contract or get traded before they just know where they're going to go. They re, a lot of guys resign like, Bruce Brown was the second best guy who changed teams. And it just so happens that he's also a brilliant transition player and does a lot of the guard guard screening stuff. The Pacers are good at and uh, can play defense at the point of attack. Something the Pacers were atrocious at last year. We've talked about that. I think every time I've talked to you, JMB. So, you know, all those boxes that he checks, even if it's a, it's just like structurally wasn't the contract everybody expected when they heard Bruce Brown to the Pacers is I think a really good deal. I mean, and, and from a Bruce Brown's perspective, right. He could be a free agent again next year. Like, he'll be uber-motivated all season long, and he'll fit in really well with this team. And uh, the Pacers get a guy that checks a lot of boxes. Like, outside of the immediate sticker shock, I think it's a win-win for everybody and kind of shows the direction the league and the Pacers are going right now. All right. So, very outspoken, uh, even through his uh, somewhat drunkenness in that parade in Denver last month, was Michael <laughs> Malone, the head coach of the Nuggets, about how he expected to keep <laughs> Bruce Brown. I know you were down there today. Did you guys find out what, how the dialogue went between he and the Nuggets about trying to keep him, or was it a foregone conclusion after that particular coaching drunken state that that would not happen? Yeah, I think once Bruce Brown got the champagne out of his hair, that decision became a little different for him. It sounds like today what he told us was he took a call from the New York Knicks in free agency and then took a call from the Pacers, and then he signed with the Pacers because he thought that was the best situation for him. So, you know, as great as the Nuggets situation was for him in terms of he was a perfect fit with what they needed and uh, won a championship, obviously, I think as soon as he was kind of in a more understanding state of his future – they could only pay him $7.5 million basically this year. That's the most the Nuggets could have afforded to pay him. The Pacers tripled that basically, right? Like it was, to me, a no-brainer for him when it comes to that. And it's a, it's more of a no-brainer for him than other players in a similar situation because he hasn't made that much in his career. I mean, compared to NBA players, obviously compared to you and I, he's made a ton. But he hasn't made that much compared to a lot of NBA players with his resume. So to go get that big contract, for the first time and potentially even be a free agent again next year or get another big contract from the Pacers. Like that all had to be very appealing from a financial perspective. And the fact that they blew the Nuggets top offer out of the water by so much, I think had to be uh, enough to get Bruce Brown to go, okay, it doesn't make sense for me to go back. So yeah, as much what do you say? Brucey B screamed at the top of his lungs in front of the parade. I, I don't think Michael Malone's sales pitch went, uh, went, went well enough to keep him there. Hey, Tony, how much was it? Wanting Bruce Brown and what he brings to the table compared to having to spend the money anyway? Oh, I think it really is wanting Bruce Brown um, because they were still so far from the floor that, like, you know, even they could have done less and still made it over that number. So I truly think they really wanted him and wanted to be to their offers. And 
the way I've kind of thought about it in my head, I haven't actually confirmed this to anybody who works in the league, but a lot of playoff teams that are over the cap could have offered him about $12 million, a little over that, a year for two years, which is like $24 million. So if Bruce Brown gets 22 from the Pacers, has an awful year, he'll get the minimum from someone next year, and then he'll still have made more money over two years than any of those offers could have been. So I think that it just made a ton of financial sense for him and for the Pacers to do this, given kind of the new way the CBA entices teams to, to reach that salary floor and uh, the way that Bruce Brown's free agency ended up shaking out. So, yeah, they had to spend somewhere. I think that probably helped Bruce Brown a little bit. But, I mean, especially because they got that team option on the second year, right? That's expensive to get. That's hard to do. That flexibility on good players is really hard to create. So, yeah, again, I, I keep saying this phrase because I think it's perfect. That sticker shock is high, but I think it makes a lot of sense with the flexibility of the Pacers and of Bruce Brown. Do they have too many guards and – here's I guess how you do you answer it in the the form of you know what if they play better defense if that's better because of his presence then so what is that how you answer that I think that they do have one too many still like someone decent might just not play this coming season in those one two three spots and I don't know who you would opt to have that be if you're the Pacers but it's also hard to just send somebody away to send somebody away but it's hard to have a lot of guys who expect or are deserving of minutes on a team. And maybe it's possible for them to have a deep rotation and get all those guys out there. I haven't really mapped out exactly what the minutes will look like, but certainly a guy like Bruce Brown coming in. I mean, he's getting, you know, about 30 minutes a game. I would guess whether he starts or not doesn't really matter. I don't think to him or to the Pacers, he'll just, he'll play a lot. He's good. Um, but between him and Nemhard and Heald and Matherin and Neesmith and Halliburton and McConnell, obviously it's a lot of guys in those spots, like I think that was certainly some of the motivation behind this Chris Duarte trade. So they still probably have one too many to truly give everybody the minutes they either have earned or deserve. And maybe that's just something we'll have to talk out with all those guys when the season starts, or maybe there's a surprise positional change to come for somebody or something. I don't know, but it sure seems like it's going to be tougher than to fit all those guys in, even with the, the trading of Chris Duarte. Oftentimes, Tony, when we talk about the guards in this fashion, somebody will bring up, well, you don't necessarily need T.J. McConnell. And I have tried to describe what I believes or what I believe that he brings to the table and what they would lose if he were someplace else. And, you know, I I make that comparison with that of Buddy Heald, but you can easily see that. I mean, the volume of three-making you can see, but oftentimes you can't see what McConnell brings to the table. But certainly I believe that is something that the Pacers cannot be good without, be better without. I think it's necessary for that off-the-bench group right there. However, is that a luxury that with all these guards, this Pacer team may not be able to afford going into the season here? Yeah, they'll have to think hard about that, right? He's been such a state, a, a big part of their second unit for all these years. And an added thing for him right this second is that they make no other moves. They don't have George Hill or James Johnson anymore. So he becomes you know, the vet, right? And that's significant for this Pacers team who's still like, yeah, they got older and they have some other vets like Miles and now Bruce Brown and Buddy Heald, but losing two key locker room voices, you'd like to keep as many of those as you can. And that would be huge for McConnell, even if he isn't playing very much. But, I mean, you've seen him over the years and he can do for the second unit. And something that I think is important that he does is he can play similar enough to Halliburton in terms of his speed and ability to push the pace that, they don't have to change their identity and style when they go to the bench, which is sometimes hard when your identity is built around one player as much as the Pacers kind of is. So I think the way he plays is significant and helpful for the team. He was clearly good last year. 
um, and, and has kind of found his groove and fit with Rick Carlisle. The three-pointer has been added to his game a little bit, right? There's a lot of reasons he's good and should play. I also get why people say, you know, he maybe he should be the odd guy out, just given the names that they have at the positions that they have, and there will be injuries. Like, everybody will get to play enough during the season. It's just, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out who should be the odd guy out because McConnell's played so well and is such a key voice for this team. So there's really not a good pitch to make for anybody, which is kind of why this is such a difficult conversation, right? Like there's no obvious candidate for who should or shouldn't play. So Tony East joins us again. Forbes Sports, WTHR.com, Locked on Pacers. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. The presser to introduce after he signed his contract, Bruce Brown, to the media earlier today happened. Tony was there covering that. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I don't know if this came up or not, um, so maybe this is just your opinion. Was was this a main move, a 1A move by the Pacers in Brown, or was it a secondary move because the market in which they were going to investigate dried up quickly? Well, 1A move was uh, given $260 million to Tyrese Halliburton. No, I'm just, yeah, I'm just talking about the Bruce Brown situation. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, I, I think that's such a big story. Yeah, with Bruce Brown, you know, I think they talked about that around the draft, right? They sniffed around on – I think Chad Buchanan said five or six guys that they thought would be really talented fits for them, you know, from a position and talent perspective. And, you know, it takes two to tango, and it's hard to sometimes find those trades and find those guys that are amenable to to come into your team. And it's not like between the draft and free agency in that one week, all of a sudden the team is going to significantly change its stance. So with those options likely still at the table when free agency started, sure, there were maybe some other stuff they could have explored, but – you know, guys don't change teams as much anymore, right? That's something I tried to allude to earlier. It's just it's harder to to poach those bigger names, and that's why I think you know Bruce Brown's probably the second best guy who changed teams after Fred VanVleet, just as a raw signing this summer. So if they had bigger plans in free agency, which I I would uh, say is possible, I think a lot of those would have been via trade, and they investigated a lot of those kind of in the draft and knew that. It would either take a lot or wasn't necessarily feasible. And maybe some of those are still on the table, right? The league is, has really slowed down transactionally since we heard about Damian Lillard uh, just late on July 1st, early on July 2nd, which really changes the dynamics of trades and team building uh, for the rest of the summer until you know everybody knows where everybody is and where the money is and where the opportunity is. So uh, as it stands, perhaps they do still have some bigger plans. But I think Bruce Brown is pretty close to a, a top option of an actual signing just given which players were available and actually changed teams. It's uh, Tony East with us. Obi Toppin seems to be an absolute no-brainer here. I mean, if you're going to take really a no-risk proposition on somebody, especially that somebody that burned you to a crisp down the stretch in April offensively, <laughs> uh, somebody that you saw up close and personal, I mean, this would be it right here, would it not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- those two games were ridiculous. I mean, he weighed 66 points in, yeah. in two games, and – you know, that he looked like the best player on the floor by a mile. And that was part of the thing that I think was so fascinating with him with the Knicks is when he played a lot, he typically played pretty well, but he never could play a lot because they had all these vets who fit their team really well. Like they made the second round of the playoffs. They were a good team last year. I don't think they made any wrong choices. It's just they were trying to win and they felt better about Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson and some other guys in that front court rotation most of the time. So he couldn't get those opportunities like Pacers fans saw playing the season very often. Like last year, he only scored more than 20 points in a game three times. And two of them were ridiculous 30 plus point outings against the Pacers. Right. So they've seen the absolute best of him to me, even if he's not that guy, 
like the price they got him for, absolute no-brainer trade to, to get him for two seconds that don't even look like they're that strong of seconds, as Dustin Dopierak tweeted uh, like an hour ago. You know, at that price, you do that trade every single time. Even if he comes to the Pacers and is a bad culture fit and kind of stinks it up, well, great, you drafted Jarris Walker, you've got other guys you can squeeze in at the four, no problem. You didn't give up anything too significant, and there's a chance he – with minutes, kind of proves that he can shoot a little better. Maybe his defense improves. Like, he never got a consistent role with the Knicks. An absolute no-brainer to me from a style fit, from an age perspective, from a from a what-they-gave-up perspective. I, I think that was a really great trade by the Patriots. Hey, Tony, were they surprised or were they in the know regarding Ronald Norad and that jump to the Hawks? Uh, I don't know necessarily how surprised or not surprised they were. The thing that surprised me is – the Hawks had announced their staff, you know, a couple weeks ago for the year. Like, they, have a, they hired a new head coach last season in Quinn Snyder, and they hired a ton of assistant coaches. Like, Mike Bray from Notre Dame's on that Hawks staff now among – I think they hired, like, seven or eight assistant coaches, which is a huge staff. And so, of course, you, you can have as many assistants in theory as you want, and Nora's really talented. But, yeah, I was surprised he would join such a giant staff that already had been announced. <laughs> but, you know, maybe he got the job he wanted or the role he wanted or whatever he – financially wanted i have no idea what his main reason for wanting to do that was nor what the pacers truly felt about him leaving but he was a really he's a really talented coach sharp young dude so i think that could end up being a significant loss for the pacers even though they have you know great other internal candidates to fill those spots but i personally was surprised even though it's not what you asked just because of how large the hawk staff already was and because they'd already announced several hires throughout the offseason you think there would have been uh a thought? I'm not suggesting there was a thought at all, but would there have been a thought about bringing back Dan Burke had they known at the time this was going to be the direction of Norit? Yeah, Burke did switch teams this summer too, right? He's in yeah. Detroit now uh, with Monty Williams, so perhaps he was maybe available for defensive purposes. I don't know what kind of relationship Dan Burke has with current Pacers coaching staff or executives anymore because this was the front office when he started here, so he certainly knows them. To some extent, but I mean, Norad was in charge of the defense last year, and had they could have lined it up perfectly, and Denberg was interested, sure, why not? I mean, I've talked to players who you know worked on defense their whole life and have learned stuff from Denberg. They were like, I can't believe I never thought of that before, and like it immediately made them better. And you know, you saw with Boyan Bogdanovich, I think was the, the the best kind of example of what that could be. Like his first year with the Pacers, he got a little better at defense from where his perception was, and then his second year, he was still kind of underwhelming, but was like a league average level defender after being pretty terrible joining the team. Like that was kind of what Dan Burke was really good at is getting those kind of players to be much more effective on that end of the floor. So yeah, the timing didn't work out. He'd already taken a job in Detroit, but yeah, had it been possible and had the relationships gone right. Yeah. I think that would have made sense. For yeah. And, and especially with a team that uh, certainly has a desperate need <laughs> defensively, it would have made sense, but I, you're selling that a little short, even I think, I, I think so too. Yeah. But they, they uh, I should say they, but he, Rick really likes Jim Boylan though. Right. Yeah, they have a. He likes having him around last year as a consultant, and uh, I'm sure they have a relationship before since Rick knows every coach in the league since he's president of the Coaches Association. But Boylan has really good experience, right? He was the head coach of the Bulls a couple of years ago, and he was even with the Pacers in Vogel's first full season with the franchise. So he's coached a ton. He's coached Team USA a bunch, too. Like, he knows, he knows the landscape of the league well. He knows the landscape of the coach well. They have him behind the benches. He's pretty overqualified for that spot. So I think he'll be an asset to the Pacers in that role, especially just he knows the ins and outs of the league so well. And uh, clearly they, they valued what he was doing as a consultant last year enough that they wanted to keep him around. So, uh, yeah, I think they know each other well. And, and, and I think he'll be a good fit in that role. 
All right. Now, you think there's anything that comes out of what happens to Damian Lillard that could have a profound or at least somewhat profound effect on the Pacers in the near future? Uh, depends on who ends up where. Like, you know, it, it, this sound, sounds funny to say because they just made the finals, but like the Heat's record wasn't that much better than the Pacers for a lot of last season. And yeah. for a Pacers team trying to make the playoffs, uh, catching anybody that they can is important. So the Heat getting better would certainly hurt them in that way. Or if he goes to Brooklyn, same thing. Like the Nets, had, the Nets and the Heat had a very similar record. So any, either of those two teams ending up with Dame, of course, would make the Pacers kind of go, ah, you know, we got to work harder to catch them or catch somebody else. And I think the thing that's going to make this fascinating is does this become a three, four, whatever kind of team trade? I think that's pretty common with these star trades of late as, as assets move around. And the Pacers got in on the, uh, I have to go back in time. This was three James Harden trades ago. Now, if you can believe it, but, <laughs> Let's do the math. <laughs> the first time he was traded from the Rockets to the Nets, I think a lot of Pacers fans will remember Kevin Pritchard jumping in on that and yeah. uh, getting, getting Karis LeVert out of it. And that was pretty savvy business to jump in like that. And when Russell Westbrook went from the Wizards to the Lakers, they jumped in on that and got Isaiah Jackson. Like, they found a way to get value in these bigger deals when they can. So perhaps that's a way that could be – that could even be a part of the Harden trade. But obviously I think Lillard is player 1A in terms of talent available right now on the move. And it seems like the only destinations that make sense are both Eastern Conference teams. So that's, of course, a direct hit on the Pacers. But in terms of the trade, maybe they can find a way to squeeze in and optimize things a little more. Who knows? Uh, Pritchard has not been shy about that. We'll see, though. I mean, that's, Miami does not have a lot of stuff to trade, so I've been very surprised at how that saga is going to unfold and where Dame could ultimately end up. I think it all, and this is in closing, too, especially now the way things have worked out in Portland. You know, they obviously redid Jeremy Grant, extended him. The Pacers have any interest in getting in on that, and then certainly when they saw the number that Portland was going to put out there to bring him back, probably said the hell with this and went elsewhere like Obi Toppin country. I would have paid Jeremy Grant $30 million a year, but no other team could offer him five years like the Blazers could. I think that was a big part of what led to that. I mean, he's really good. He would have been. A, I think I said that to you. I think no, I'm, I'm with you on that, too. That's who I like, too. He was an awesome free agent fit for the Pacers had he actually been available. Yeah, it's fascinating how that worked out. And, and I don't know this, but I'd imagine since the Blazers you know, offered him the maximum that they could extend him for during the season last year, it was less than that amount. And he turned them down. I'm guessing they had some sort of understanding that this deal would be, you know, on the table this free agency period in some way. I don't, I don't know that. I'm just guessing a little bit. But so even Dame or no Dame, I think they were going to offer that, and that's going to make it really hard for any other team to to swoop in and get him, even if he would have been a perfect fit with the Pacers. And at that money, I still think, I mean, that's a good tradable contract for that Blazers team. So that's a good bit of business by Portland to me. I, I'm like one of the only people who still thinks that's a good contract, even with Dame leaving. Um, so I think that despite him being a near perfect fit with the Pacers this summer, I think they just have no chance of them given the dynamics there. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine what they would have felt that giving him that amount of money was going to be good either. But I'm, I'm yeah. with you in terms of the fit here with this group, I thought was as good as you were going to find option-wise out there. I really did. So Yeah, I thought he was, I mean, just a perfect fit from I mean, good scorer at the four, great defender, can play above the rim, can play in transition, can now shoot it a little bit. And the thing that's kind of worked out for him is, like this, these last seasons with Portland, I, I called it Goldilocks theory where – you know, in Denver, he didn't have enough of a role. In Portland, it was too big. and Or, excuse me, Detroit, it was too big. And in Portland, it was just right, right? And I think the same kind of happened with Brogdon last year in Boston. And so the Pacers probably would have offered him about the same usage because Halliburton would have had the ball so much. So 
they saw him in the optimized role. His skills were such a perfect fit that they knew exactly what he could be. And he was only 29, I think, right now still. Uh, obviously, the back end of that contract might not look great, but he would have been an awesome fit for the Pacers and where they're headed. All right, Tony, what are you writing about here? Got to get all this stuff done from the presser. We got to talk to uh, Pritchard, Rick Carlisle, uh, Bruce Brown, and Tyrese Halliburton on the podium. Got more time with Brown and Halliburton and Carlisle afterwards. So lots to get to. And uh, the Chris Duarte trade might become official at some point in the next couple of days. Same with the Obi Toppin trade. Lots of stuff still going on in Pacerland. You got it. Tony, I appreciate you, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. It's uh, Tony East right there. Tony East. Mandy Moore, Automotive Group, Potline, Colts, NFL, and a lot of stuff with our friend Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59. Do you have direct TV? Do you have cable? Uh, U-verse. Okay. U-verse. So I, I've got, I have direct TV. So right now, um, I haven't had Wish TV Channel 8 in what feels like 20 years. Um, yeah, in Fox 59, too. Yeah, so, 59 you know, and I, CBS I, 4. I couldn't watch myself be on the other night with Hagen. I, I, it's kind of awkward because it pisses me off. But they're my company, so there's not a lot I can say about it. Right. <laughs> so. understand. Oh, yeah, completely understand. But 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 it, it's just annoying to where they do this and they, you know yeah uh, you know, I already pay too much for my TV anyway because I don't do all the streaming stuff that smart people do. But just quit taking my channels away from me. I, I really get it's irritating, and that's probably all all to say so I don't get fired. No, you're not. And, and again, I I just kind of look at it as there's there is no perfect solution to any of this there there just isn't I, and you got to try to try to take um the path of least resistance here and i've over the past 23 years decided to go with direct tv yeah. and you know people always say well you talk about direct tv like it's great no it's not great because there's nothing that is great i just want i, I play the odds mike that i'm going to get on a nightly basis, what I need to watch, correct, and then everything else has to uh, to fall where it does. Here, that's what I do. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a simple life, and when you start screwing with my simple life, yeah, you know. I, but you, but you're right, and you get used to things. And I'm at the point that I like <laughs> I like routine, and I like to sit there and you know, like my my stepson. He, he's really into this, and he gave us a set up Roku we got Netflix and all that stuff and a few other things and he can stream things on his computer and all that I'm too much of a of an idiot to do that but it's you know there was a time was a a couple years ago when what we lose initially uh wish or maybe it was maybe it was maybe it was Fox for a short time when when we lost NFL games. But no, it was 13. I remember having okay, to watch. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I had to watch at uh, my neighbor Jeff Watson's house a game in Seattle on yeah. a Sunday night that was on 13 when DirecTV didn't have it. And it, it's just, you know, it's you, you, the, the, you know, us grunts get caught in, in the crosshairs and, you know, I guess somebody wants to charge us a little bit more. So I don't know. I just, it's annoying. And, you know, the people that get ground under are, are people like us. Yeah, I mean, we're the uh, the negotiation tool is what we are. We're the yeah. only ones that really get screwed. I mean, ultimately, well, it, both sides get what they want after a prolonged, I guess, unless it's Wish, and I don't even know where the hell they are now. I mean, I, they have been off They've been off my yeah. direct TV for three years, so I don't even think I, about I'm it. A, I'm a little surprised this has come out now 
as opposed to maybe late August, right before the NFL season. Yeah, that, that's that's leverage there. That, that's when you really irritate people. But I mean, it's almost I, a minor irritation because I'm assuming they're going right with the fact that the All Star Game is on Fox. A yeah, minor, a go. minor irritation for people around here with DirecTV right yeah, now. Yeah, well, you start you start messing with people's NFL games, and yeah. you're going to see the. The angry side of folks. Yeah. It's uh, Mike Chappell, who is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I know I've talked about it a, a number of times about showing some signs. And I, I don't know what you guys saw, and I know it wasn't lengthy regarding Anthony Richardson, but given what, what you know, and I know that there's going to be training camp to decide all this, um, do you have any takeaways as far as expectation for Richardson to be good to go? Because I've heard it from both sides. I've heard, you know what? He's given moments in which we have seen not a lot of, but moments where you could justify him starting. And then I've heard from others suggesting that he is like miles away right now. I don't know if I'd say miles away, but I think it's fair to say that during we probably, I'm trying to tell how many times we saw these guys practice. Probably was it five or six totally with OTAs and, and veteran minicamp. I'm not counting many uh, rookie minicamp. But it, I think it's safe to say that Richardson generally had, had had the best passes and the worst passes. You know, he, 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 was, he was the up and down graph, which... You know, I- whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I just can't take away much from the OTAs in, in the summer just just because. I mean, uh, there were so many guys, you know, Michael Pittman didn't practice and, and Jonathan Taylor didn't practice and a lot of guys were out. And I, I think it was more important for Richardson to sort of get in the groove of, the, the, okay, this, this is my job. You know, I don't go to class anymore or whatever. This is my job. I get up in the morning, I go to work, and I go home, and this is what I do. And it was really important to me that he got the playbook down. He knows what he's doing. He knows where the lunch room is. He knows where the training room is and all that. And, and once we get to camp, and I've said this before, I think that's when we're going to see volumes on what they expect by doggone it. If he's, if, if he's starting in the opener, he's got to get the bulk of the work. He just does. You, can't, you just can't do this 50-50 with he and Minshew with the idea that he's getting enough. Because I, I think you can, you can limit Minshew's reps, which isn't ideal, but you can limit his reps with the first unit and he can kind of get to be pretty quick because he knows the offense and he's a vet and all this stuff. But boy, you got to find out what you've got with Richardson as far as a rookie. And I think the best way, and it's not going to be when we, you know, Kevin Bowen and George Bremer and all the star guys and, and the athletic guys where we're charting the passes and 11 on 11 and all this, that's not going to be what tells me how he's doing. It's going to be again, how the team, handles his reps and is he getting more work and because if he's not if it's still 50 50 or whatever then i i don't think they they think he's ready but if if he's getting more of the reps and the deeper into camp he's getting more that tells us a lot and yeah of course the performance 
he just can't spray the ball all over the place. But, you know, I, I, I just think how they handle him will tell us. And as, as you and I have talked, to me, he has to show that he's not ready. I, I really have to believe that if they think, man, we, we just can't do this. It's not fair to the veterans. It's not fair to everybody else because he's not ready. We're going to hurt his development. If that's the case, he doesn't start. But if he's if you, if you see things and you kind of like what you see and he's got the book down and he's got the protections down and all that, then you start him. And, and as long as he's not hurting the team by being dumb, dumb plays, interceptions, whatever, then you sort of just deal with it. And then whether you go four and thirteen or seven and ten, what's the difference? As long as you, as long as this guy's getting better, and, and he earns it, because again, n- nobody knows better on who needs who, who should be playing than the locker room. And if you're putting a guy out there that because he's a rookie and he's your future, but he's not ready, that's going to PO some veterans off. And DeForest Buckner, he, he doesn't care too much about 2024 he really i mean yeah he does it a little bit but he, he he's into the here and now most of these guys are so i i think if he's close to being ready i don't see the downside to not starting yeah you're probably going to lose a game or two that you shouldn't but if he's getting better and i keep going back to the peyton years when they were three and 13 and it was about mid-season and it clicked in the frisco game in frisco and it clicked and then he was pretty good, and the and the team was pretty good. But and then and then they they took the major jump the next year, which was which was unreal that they did that. But boy, if you see this kid doing what he should do and getting better, and and he's ready, sort of ready or ready, boy, I just think you play him. It's Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59, mm-hmm. Colts, NFL, and more via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, would you set the over-under at six? Over <laughs> with Minshew and under with Richardson? Yeah, Is that a fair assessment? Think, yeah, because I, I really think you look at the schedule, and, and of course, we, we said this last year with, with a lot of division games early, and then they kind of went to bed early. But yeah, boy, because the schedule, relatively speaking, is not all that you know tough. And I think if you get decent play by the quarterback, where he's making plays and he's not just really hurting you, I think you get a chance to win some games early. So I, I think you're right. If it's Minshew, I take the over, and I'm not I'm not really optimistic, but I would take the over. With the rookie, I'd have to take the under, and it's going to be a tough decision. It really will because again, even. Even Chris Ballard, I mean, I realize, remember what he said is we drafted him for what he can be in the future. Well, at the same time, you, you, you know, you're, you're demanding the fans pay full price. You're not giving them, you know, a, a cut rate on, on tickets this year because you got a young quarterback. So, but it's really tough on, on getting this quarterback ready as soon as you can, yet being as competitive as you can because who knows? You just don't know how this season goes. And, boy, you start winning a couple games and with the Rams come in and Jacksonville's early and Tennessee and all that, you just don't know. You know, we, we go back and, I, you know, as as bad as last year was, we've talked about this. If they just don't do stupid things, they win seven or eight games and maybe nine and win the division. 
as, as, as chaotic as it was. But the biggest decision, obviously, is going to be quarterback and how they decide that. And, you know, it, it, it's not like the GM or the head coach's job's on the line. It, it's not because they, they've decided this is, with, with everything they've done, this is going to be a, I don't know, two or three year process. I, I don't know what kind of a time frame. But you still, you still don't want to simply say, well, we'll go with a rookie. And if we go three and 14, well, so, you know, we'll, we'll get a high draft pick next year and we'll get Marvin Harrison Jr. in here. But uh, you, you still got to try to be as competitive as you can while getting your young quarterback ready for the long term. Is it reasonable to suggest if it's, you know, four or, you know, whatever, uh, less less than six, if it is close to the win total that we saw a year ago, regardless of, of what happens, I guess, and who's starting at quarterback, that's not going to be viewed well by the fan base considering, you know, the complete clown show that was a year ago, right? Well, but I, I think you can win four games with this group if if your if your quarterback is showing progress and you say you know this guy's got something Don't you win more yeah. with his schedule though if he's showing well, progress yeah, I, know, I know yeah but it depends it depends on how you get to four if right. you're out there and you're doing blowing games like they did last year and and just just making dumb mistakes week after week after week then you got a problem then you gotta you think that a Minshew would give you some stability and consistency. That's why I say it, so much of it's going to be under they believe this kid, after 13 starts, you know, can, can handle. It, it's such a enormous step from big-time college, NFL. It, it just is. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle this. One thing that I was looking at, we always talk about hope, and that's what this kid and he gives you. You look at the, 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 the major – the, the franchise that we have here with the Fever and the Pacers and the Colts, and they've got that young individual. You know, Boston is what I think she's twenty-one, and what Halliburton's twenty-three, and Richardson's twenty-one. So that it's really encouraging that you, 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 your your star player that you are going to build around is somebody you can build around, and they're they're in, in the case of the. Fever and the Pacers, even though Boston's played, I don't know how many games they've played, but 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 she she's all star and they're sort of established as pretty good players. And if you can get Richardson to do that, boy, to have three cornerstones of franchises and build forward, that's really really encouraging, and it should give people around here optimism for the future. It's Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Obviously, second tier to what we're talking about right now regarding the quarterback position and Anthony Richardson of interest here in the next three or so weeks is going to be that of the condition and the long term of Shaquille Leonard. I'm curious. He has been, historically speaking, so active via social media. I haven't seen anything, have we? If things were good... Would we have not seen something know. from yeah. him? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I understand what you're saying because yeah. we have in the past. I don't know. I'm just going to be uh, – I, I guess I'm just hardened by all this. And until I see him out there, and as I, as I said before, not just one day, but day after day after day, until I see that, how are you not anxious? 
I, 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 last year was a blind faith, and it didn't work. He played, what, three games and 70 snaps and didn't play well because his body wouldn't let him. Uh, my, my biggest concern, my biggest fear, I guess, is we show up, whatever that is, July 25th to 26th, whatever it is, we get Chris Ballard on the 25th, and he'll say, yeah, we're going to start Shaq on Pup because he's not quite ready yet. Well, that's not even remotely good news. So, you know, it'll be nine months or so removed from surgery. And, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you that, in, that I'm, I'm concerned. And if it lingers into the season, you know, then you have to worry about the long-term you know, ramifications and, and can he get back to being the great player, the really great player he was until I see him out there. I don't mean as a cheerleader and jumping up and down and, and encouraging the linebackers. I'm talking practicing, you know, at, you know, and not Alan Iverson, you know, practice. No, I'm talking practicing and he needs to practice and be out there week after week to where it's not an issue. And, and we're not asking change Steichen every day. Well, you know, so what's the latest on, on Shaq? Well, progress, no timetable. I don't want to hear that. And we're getting to the point that it needs to be, yeah, he'll be out there. And Now, if he's out there, then fine. Then easy man, you know, not every play, an easy man, and maybe practice on a day, and then the next day's not. But at some point, he's got to practice and to where you know that he's back. Because, it's, it's, again, it's been since 2021 that he's played. To, to any to any level, so yeah, that's that's going to be the main storyline. Yeah, it's, it's it's about Anthony Richardson, but it's about the Shack because he he's the heart and soul of that defense. What's the uh, absolute position with this team? The absolute, yeah. you know, what you can count on here. I think running back. I I I do. I I don't blame I don't blame last year that much on on JT because. If the line played better, he still would have had the numbers, the better numbers. I think he still averaged four and a half yards a carry, four point five, I think it was. So, I think you know what you're going to get from from the from the running back position because I do expect the line to play better. Although that's that's not an absolute. I don't think receivers an absolute. I don't think tight ends an absolute. Defensive line maybe, maybe defensive line. Defensive line slash running back will be the two because I I like the personnel they've got they've got a lot of depth they got some really good players on the D line they got depth those two everywhere else I'd say I'd, I'd have questions yeah I, you know and again it's it's such a weird place to be because normally the running back position is so disposable but yeah. in terms of of this team Mike and in, and in terms of this team being competitive. You gotta have him. He's 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 their most valuable player. Yeah, you gotta have him. He's their most indispensable yeah. player because if you don't get Richardson, well, you got Minshew. So, and if you don't have Tater, you go to whoever you know Zach Moss, whoever's behind him. And that's again in the next three weeks. Are we going to see an extension done? I don't know. Uh, if, if they wanted to play major hardball, they make him play out his contract and then they franchise him. For a couple of years, and that really wouldn't that go against that would go against everything Chris Ballard everything. has talked about. It would though, go right? against everything, yeah. and, and, I, and I think that would be something that they won't do because, like you said, that would be playing hardball with your best player, and the message that would send after the extensions you've given out to to, to really lesser players, 
uh, would send a terrible message. I think he deserves it. You can make it work where it's a, really a two-year extension, but make it look like a three- or four-year so the numbers look kind of really good. But, yeah, it's and if, yes, he's a running back, and running backs are getting dumped on and all that, but he's, I think he's their best player. I do. And they're going to be leaning on him and the rest of the running backs really, really hard with the, with the young quarterback. So it's interesting. I, I, I think it gets done because the numbers won't be – you know, Michael Pittman receiver-like numbers, and he's your best player, doggone it. I just I, – I think that he keeps you competitive. Yeah. Because there is such an incredible unknown at quarterback. But could you also make the argument for those that suggest that you shouldn't longer term him out? Can you make an argument if you're going to win, you know, five or so games and, you know, the running back is the most important on a five-win team, then really it's not that important? Can you make that argument? <laughs> Yeah, but that that's a that's a bad dark hole to go down where you're saying, well, you know, we we can do with him because what, what's he going to do? Remember, remember, he had 1,800 yards and the greatest season by a Colt running back uh, two years ago, and he didn't didn't make the playoffs. So if that's not an indictment, although that that was it wasn't his fault by at any by any stretch, but no, I, I think if you start doing what you were arguing then you can take it all the way down. Then you don't re-sign Michael Pittman. You don't do any of this stuff, and you just sort of eat it this year and get that really good draft pick next year. And I think that's really a slippery slope to go down. I don't think they would do it. I don't think they will do it. You know, whether they get Pittman done or not, I don't know, because you're talking pretty massive money there. But, boy, again, I go back to JT. It's not, relatively speaking, it's going to be, I don't know, $14, $15 million a year, maybe $20 million guaranteed. I don't know. But he's one of your own. He, he, he's, he's been your best player. He'll, I think he, again, is your best player. And, and, oh, by the way, you're going to run him to death this year to protect your quarterback. Is Pittman or Taylor more valuable, considering the situation right now offensively? Taylor, T- Taylor is, although I don't, you know, I, I don't want to diminish Pittman, but – I just have a hard time talking myself into him being a one. I really do. And, you know, maybe he's the guy you make play his rookie rookie contract and then you franchise him, which is going to be a big number. But, it, you know, and, and for all of the people who say it, hey, just you don't re-sign Pittman because he's not a one. He's he's a really, really good two. And you just replace him. But they're not that easy to replace. And we've seen these guys aren't going to pay – $20, $25 million for a free agent if, if that guy's out there. It, that's why I say it, it's really important to, to re-sign your own, but you better be sure they're that level of player to re-sign your own. We've had this argument about Quentin Nelson. You know, he, at the time, he was maybe the best guard in the, the league, and they paid him like a left tackle, but he's not a premium position. He just isn't. But when you've got a running back and when you've got a receiver and you've got a young and you've got a young offense for the most part and a young quarterback, it'll really be great because then you got Pierce and you got Josh Downs. You could really grow this. And you've got some young tight ends, uh, a couple of young offensive linemen, and you could really grow this offense for the long term as much as contracts that allow you to. So it's really going to be interesting. Again, I, w- I would re-sign JT without really hesitation. As long as the money's not crazy, crazy, Pittman's going to be difficult because 
of what the market is for receivers. And I think he believes that if he gets to the open market, he'll make buku bucks. Um, over the weekend, we saw Vince Tobin passed away. Um, yeah. The one time uh, from, I think, 94. Was it 94, 95 when he was the defensive coordinator? 94, 95, oh, yeah. Yep. That's what I thought. Uh, any any memories, lasting memories that no, he produced a, for you just then? Just a great guy. Just a great guy. Solid guy. And I'm not talking golf coordinator. Of course, he was a great coordinator. And he went to, what, Arizona? Yeah. From here. Just, just a solid guy. It's been forever ago, but. You know, he he and Bill Tobin just just were they were just solid guys, and Bill could be a little bit, you know, disgruntled sometimes. But that goes with the job. Vince was really a cool guy, and uh, it's it's unfortunate. And, and my wishes to his family. Yeah, yeah, it was like um, yeah, ninety four, ninety five, right there yep. too. So and. Yep. Uh, yeah, obviously, when Bill Tobin was here, the lasting memory was uh, what he said about Mel Kuyper. Who the <laughs> so, hell is Mel Kuyper? <laughs> classic. Uh, and, and we, we were in the room when all that went on, and it was it was classic things things that you 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 you, you kind of glad you were there for. It was really really pretty cool. That was uh, long before ice cold takes would be on Twitter. Hey, by the way, people are telling me I need to go to Threads. I got a, I got an account just because I don't want to be the last one on the planet to not have one, but I don't understand all that stuff. If there's, and there's crap on Twitter. I just ignore the, the, the crap all of stuff and just look for news and comments from guys. I trust you know, like anything you have to sort through, you know, crap to get the good stuff. And I, I've gotten pretty good about ignoring, you know, crap, ignoring crap. <laughs> That's where I'm in my life, you know. But if I can get out of, out of bed in the morning and ignore crap, I'll have a good day. All right, buddy. I appreciate you. Have a great weekend at Beach Grove. You too. Later. It's uh, Mike Chapel of CBS4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.